What do the righteous do? What do the believers do when all of their foundations have been shaken? When their foundations have been rocked, whether it's as a world, whether it's in, in the economy, whether it's something personal that they're going through, how do you handle it? How does a believer handle it? How do we handle it differently than maybe someone who doesn't know God, someone who doesn't walk with God? And so this morning we're going to look at this issue of just be persistent. Fact is, it's a biblical principle. It's a biblical principle all through Scripture about this issue of, of where we don't lose heart and we don't give up. If you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, you can go ahead and turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 is where we're going to start this morning. And we're just going to open up the Word together. We're going to allow the Word to speak to us this morning on this issue, this biblical principle that we as believers, that we cannot afford to give up. We cannot afford to just, just to quit. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked at it. I've, I've looked at this issue for a long time in my ministry and just thought of, about this, that how it's possible or how it happens. That you can have two people. Two people can go through the same tragedy. Two people can go through the same difficulty in their life. It's amazing to me that they go through the same situations, the same tragedy, and, and one person walks out better and the other person walks out bitter. I mean, it's just amazing to me how people handle those issues differently. I mean... Why is it that some people survive and some people walk through difficult seasons successful and others don't? To where, I mean, you can look at this, you can have two athletes and, and two athletes have just about the same athletic ability and one guy makes the team and the other person doesn't. You take two business uh, people and you can put them in business and they start a business and, and they have about equal assets and equal intelligence and all of these other th things. And then, and then you have one business that's very successful and you have a... Well, you have another business that goes bankrupt. You have two students that enter college, and they have about the same IQ. And you have one student that graduates, and you have one student that, that drops out. Why is that? Is it just luck? I mean, we've seen over and over and over where you have two couples. And after 30 years of marriage, you have one couple that is is in love with their partner and a successful marriage and all of those other things and you have another couple that well they didn't they didn't make it you have two people that can go through the the same tragedy and one person survives and um, another person doesn't why is that I mean is it just is it is it just luck here a while back when the airliner crashed into the Hudson River 2020 was fascinated with this issue and fascinated with this question about why is it that you can go through personal tragedy and there's some that survive and there's some that, that don't survive. So they did a special around this, this but it also uh, encompassed a lot of different tragedies in the U.S. And so they, they had this man that, that was, a part of, was in an apartment fire where everybody in the apartment, 40 people lost their lives in the fire. He was the only one that survived. Had another individual that there was a plane crash and he was the only one that survived. He was the only survivor of the plane crash. Looked at the lady, in fact, is in Colorado that was attacked by a mountain lion. And, and she survived. And so they were discussing this issue with a panel, with a group of people that had been through horrible tragedy in their life, and they came out on the other side better and not bitter. And so they started looking at this question, they started looking at this issue, what makes a survivor? What makes someone to be able to go through great tragedy, great difficulty, and all of a sudden you see that they're successful? And so with that, they had the author of a book called The Survivor's Club. And Ben Sherwood is the author of, of the book Survivor's Club. And over the course of like three years, he studied the lives of men and women who had gone through great tragedy. And he wanted to know what is it that makes people, uh, gives people the ability 
to make it through great difficulty in their life, great tragedy in their life. And so they ask him a question. They said, Ben, we want to ask you this. And, what is, and the, the question is this. What is, the, what is the one thing? What is the main thing that allows an individual to go through tragedy when other people fail, when other people give up, when other people lose heart or don't survive? What is the one thing that makes people successful through tragedy? Here's what he says, and I quote. It's also in his book. It's what he said that night. He said this. The number one factor that makes people go through difficulty and come out alive and surviving on the other side is faith. I have found in my research of well over thousands of individuals that when people believe that the creator of all the universe is on their side, there is nothing that they cannot go through in life. What Ben Sherwood said is this, the knowledge, the understanding, the belief that God is with you, that God will never leave you nor abandon you, is what gives people the ability to walk through great tragedy, difficult seasons of life, and come out on the other side better. I mean, when you, when you look at this, you realize that, you know what, in our world, in our time, people give up so easily, Right? I mean, it just seems like when there's tragedy, when there's difficulty, people give up. When there's obstacles, people give up. And for some reason, when you look at the other side of that, of those who have been successful, you all of a sudden understand and see that those who walk through obstacles and God turns obstacles into opportunities, all of a sudden they gain this confidence. fact is, Apostle Paul was like that. If you study the Apostle Paul's life, what you'll see and what you'll realize is this is that as God turned obstacles into opportunities, as God showed himself strong, when he went through tragedy, when he learned and he understood and he experienced that God is with him, what you see in his life, the Apostle Paul begins to gain confidence in his life towards the end of his ministry. The Apostle Paul was like invincible. And so when we come to this scripture, chapter uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and following, we understand that Paul is writing, he's saying that we're going to go through tragedy, we're going to go through difficult seasons of life. When we don't give up, why? Because God is with us. And listen, let me tell you something. Some of you here this morning, you may have lost heart. And you may be at the point to where you're just, you're ready to give up. You're ready to give up on a marriage. You're ready to give up on some relationships. You're ready to give up on a family. You're ready to give up on parenting. You may be ready to give up on school or a profession or a career. Or maybe you're ready to give up on a dream. And God has a lot to say to us this morning. That as believers, and my encouragement to you is this. Do not give up. God is with you, and God will not leave you nor abandon you, and there is something that happens in the tragedy. There is something that happens in the difficulty that God wants to work into your life so that you come out on the other side and you know that he is faithful and that he is good. Four principles for us this morning that when we're, we go through difficulty, when we go through hurt, when we go through pain, when our foundations have been shaken and we're like questioning everything, how do we respond? What do we know? What do we do? The first principle is this. When Christians are hard-pressed, guess what? We keep going. 
When Christians are hard-pressed, when Christians go through difficulty, when Christians go through tragedy, we keep going because we get it and we understand that God is with us. Verse 8, here's what the scripture says. And we are hard-pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never, never abandoned by God. Some of you need to hear that this morning. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the tragedy, regardless of the season, God has not abandoned you. And we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. And so the Apostle Paul begins drilling this down into the, to, the, to, to us so that we would understand that God is with us. And so Paul gives his testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. This is the story of his life. This is part of his testimony. This is part of the faithfulness of God. Listen, every one of us has a story. Every one of us. in your story is powerful, and so is Paul's. And here's what Paul says about his story. He says, verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times uh, without number and faced death again and again. Five times the, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. And remember, 40 lashes was death. So they brought him to the brink of death several times. For following Christ, by the way. For doing good stuff. Three times I was beaten with rods and once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked and once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers and I've faced danger from my own people. The Jews as well as the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. Here may be one of the most hurtful of all. And I face danger from men who claim to be Christians. But they weren't. Man, they claim to be followers of Christ. And they just weren't. And I've worked hard and long and endured many, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and had often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? And who is led astray? And I do not burn with anger. If I, if I must boast, I'd rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. And then verse 31 is such an odd verse placed in the midst of all this tragedy and this difficulty and this hurt and this pain. In verse 31, the scripture says, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows that I am not lying. Listen, I told you last week, and we talked about this last week, right, that there are two times that scripture says that you're supposed to praise him. One, when things are going well in your life because he is worthy of praise. And two, when things are going crummy in your life because he is worthy of praise. You praise him not because of your situation. You praise him not because of your circumstance. You praise him because guess what? Because he is worthy of your praise regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstance. Because listen, I'm telling you, when you go through difficulty, when you go through tragedy, it is crucial that you worship your way out of it. 
Because it is a reminder of God's presence. It is a a reminder that he has not abandoned you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. There are some amazing things that happen in corporate worship when we gather. And we just begin to worship him. And just remember who he is. And that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Let me tell you something. All great people... All great organizations, and yes, all great churches have come to the place in their ministry or a season of their business or life when they've had to trust him. In fact, it's Dr. John Bazzano, who's a friend of mine, and he had one of the first mega churches in, in, in the U.S. many years ago, and he's in his 80s now. And, and uh, I was talking to him, and I asked him just some principles of, of some great churches. And so Brother John, he's affectionately known as Brother John. And, and Brother John just said, he said, you know, Charlie, let me tell you this. I've studied great churches all of my ministry. And I've watched great churches. And he says, I'm going to tell you this. Every great church comes to the place to where they're going to have to trust him. And they cannot trust themselves, and they cannot lean on their own resources. And, they, and for the churches and for the individuals that trust him, it's amazing how God honors that trust. You know, since we've been here in Pueblo, Colorado, we've seen every open door brings opposition, right? Every open door brings obstacles. And you can see that all the way through the New Testament, that, that they would pray for open doors, and, and then they just stayed faithful through the obstacles, and they prayed for open doors, and they prayed through obstacles, and they prayed through opposition. And, and, and we've seen it over and over in our ministry. Can you imagine what would have happened? If Fellowship of the Rockies years ago had just quit and just said, it's just too difficult, it's just too hard. I mean, just more recently, remember a little bit over a year ago, we began praying about, and we've been talking about land, and, and that we needed to relocate, and we needed a bigger place, and, and uh, we didn't know how we were going to afford it. We didn't know because the amount of land that we would need would be like millions, and we just didn't know. And then all of a sudden, remember that? And then some land came available, about 50 acres of land at Pueblo Boulevard and Northern Avenue. And and the price was unbelievable, $375,000. Less than like a nickel a square foot. Unbelievable price. And now then all of a sudden God's providing more land than, than, than we even asked for, more land than we would really need. And so on Easter of last year at the event center, remember? We announced to you that we think we found land, and we had a meeting soon after that, and we gathered, and we prayed, and we, we, you guys approved, and we went and started the purchase process of the land. And then in the summer, we, you guys, and along with us, we all raised money and able to pay cash for the land. And so we're walking through the pro- process, and we're walking through all of the stuff to get final approval, and then, and then we had a little bit of an obstacle. And it wasn't with the city, and it wasn't with city council. I mean, they have been just fabulous to work with. But there are some issues with some developers and some things of cost recovery and some things. And so we started delaying one city council meeting after another. And we're not ready, not ready, not ready, not ready. And then, and then this last week, we had this meeting. And we sat there and we watched God turn an obstacle into a huge opportunity for this church. And so tomorrow night... We're going to city council for final approval, and we're ready, and we got the approvals in place, and we got the agreements in place, and let me tell you something. You should be so proud of your elders and your leadership because they have never flinched. Can you imagine 
if Fellowship of the Rockies had just given up, and those of you, some of you are in this room, you've been with us since 1995, and you know 1999 was, was like a difficult year for us. It was just a really, really hard year, and it, it got kind of shaky. And if things weren't shaky enough, I became your senior pastor. <laughs> and in that period and in that process, we saw God do some great things. Can you imagine what would have happened if we had just, and if we had just given up? Can you imagine the blessings we would have missed? How about your life? Do you realize your greatest obstacle may be God's greatest opportunity in your life? It may be an opportunity in your life to get God to see, do some, see God do some amazing things in your life when you know in my darkest hour, in my diff, most difficult time, God is with me and you can persevere through through anything. Watch this. Proverbs 24, 16 says this. The godly man may trip seven times, but they will get up again. See, failure is not falling. Failure is a refusal to get up again. The only thing that makes failure permanent is to where you refuse to get up again. And so he says the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. In other words, those without God. Because they don't know that God is with them. They don't know that they have God's presence. They don't know what we know. And as a result of that, as believers, that we persevere and we don't give up. We keep going. And we understand and we turn obstacles into opportunities. And, and Paul used this term and he says, he said we were struck down had problems on every side but God was with us but we were not crushed listen let me tell you something just just a little bit the difference between Greek and English in the in the English language we use the word but in a in a negative sense right uh, but they used in the Greek they would use the word but very very positive in the English language we use the word but in a very negative sense like like well, like we'll say some things like it's a beautiful day today but it's probably going to snow it's probably going to get really, really cold. Or, or someone to sit down with you and have a conversation with you and say, I really like you, but. Okay? Supervisor may talk to you and say, you know what? You're doing a really, really good job, but. You're a really good preacher, but. Right? So, so we use the word in the English language sometimes in a negative way. It's not true in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament would use the word but in a very positive way to contrast something. And in other words, the church was persecuted, but those who were scattered preached the word everywhere they went. And as a result of that, the church grew. James was beheaded, but the word of God increased. Peter was in prison. But the church gathered and prayed, and God did a miracle. In this word, world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And Paul would use that word this way. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but, listen, but we are never abandoned by God. We're not forsaken. We are not left. 
we get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. We do not lose heart because we know that God is with us. And that's why we're able to worship Him in the celebrations of life and when things are difficult because He is worthy of our praise regardless. Second thing is this, when we go through difficulty, when we go through trouble as Christians, when Christians keep going, Christians keep going so Jesus Christ is revealed. Christians keep going so Jesus Christ is revealed. Verse 10, through suffering our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live in constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. So the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in, so he understood, he understood our purpose. This resulted in eternal life for you. Listen, let me tell you something. Can you imagine the lives that may not have been changed if Fellowship of the Rockies had given up? If Fellowship of the Rockies had quit years ago? You see, Paul understood this fact. Paul understood that this is eternal purpose. This is eternal glory that we glorify God in everything that we do. And Paul considered himself expendable. I mean, he, for, the, for, the, for the kingdom and for Christ. In Acts chapter 19, Paul is preaching and he goes into a city by the name of Ephesus. And Ephesus was this city that, that had a lot of godless worship. The fact is, they worshiped idols. And so Paul goes into Ephesus and he begins preaching. And as a result of that, people became coming, they, they started coming to Christ. And they understood that we don't worship idols and we don't need idols anymore. And we don't need all of that stuff. And what happened is when they came to Christ, they hurt an entire industry. And, and so there were some, some companies losing money, and the, 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 the economy in Ephesus was, was, was like in the tank because they had these businesses, and they would make these, these idols, these little idol dolls of the goddess Diana and some others. And people would go and buy those and put them in their home and then worship those. Well, Paul leads them to Christ, they realize, and so now they're throwing these dolls out. They don't need them anymore because they're, they're worshiping the true living God. And so as a result of that, he hurt the business, he hurt the economy. And they got really mad, and all of a sudden this riot started. And this group of people ended up in, a, in an amphitheater there in Ephesus, 25,000 people. And they're chanting, and they're pledging their allegiance to the, to the goddess Diana and to some other things. And they're wanting Christians to pay. They are wanting the blood of Christians. And all of a sudden, Paul looks in there and tells his buddy, he says, I want to go in there and preach the gospel. They need Jesus, and so his buddies in Acts chapter 19, verse 31, here's what they told him. They said, some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. Listen, let me tell you something. You become a radical follower of Christ. There will be friends. There will, people, there will be people around you that will tell you, man, don't be radical. Man, you need to calm down just a little bit. And Paul, he was willing to face a hostile crowd and go through shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonment because he got it, he understood that in his difficulty that Jesus would be revealed because people would see the difference that a Christian walks through tragedy and difficulty. And let me ask you, does Jesus Christ mean more to you than anything in this world? I mean, Jesus is the one that says, if any of you 
want to come after me. You must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Not just for an hour on the weekend. Not just for an hour in a service so we just kind of feel a little bit better. He's talking about being a radical follower of Christ. Do you love the Lord so much that you're willing to sacrifice your time and financially to advance his kingdom and what he's doing in Pueblo, Colorado? Is your devotion greater to Christ than any other single devotion in your life? Do you love the Lord more than any other romantic relationship in your life? And some of you, you may be involved in some relationships right now that you know are outside the will of God. You willing to terminate those for him? Do you love the comforts Pueblo, your home, the U.S. To the point that if he asks you to move to another state, to go to another country for him, would you? Do you love the Lord more than your, more than your possessions? and pleasures of this life? Do you put the church ahead of other financial expenses because you understand it's kingdom work? Is the Lord a all-consuming passion in your life or Is he just a weekend convenience? Because Jesus is the one that said, if you desire to be my follower, I mean, stakes are high. See, we live in a time where it doesn't take, we believe it doesn't take any sacrifice from us. If you're going to be my follower, you have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross. And you're just going to have to follow me. The third principle when we go through difficulty when our world is shaken is this. Is Christians keep going because of what we believe. In other words, we, we do what we believe. Uh, and so Paul is saying the reason that we keep going is because, because, because of what we believe. Verse 13. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. And so listen, let me tell you something. If you really believe in something in your life, it's going to come out, right? It's going to, if you believe in a hobby, sooner or later you're going to start talking about that hobby. If you believe in a career, you know, something that's pa- that you're passionate about, sooner or later it's going to come out. If, if you believe in a football team, sooner or later it's going to come out, right? I mean, we got a, we got a tough game today, don't we? Cowboys and Giants. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I mean, sooner or later, sooner or later it's going to come out, right? Sooner or later, if you're really, really passionate about something, 
Sooner or later, it just comes out in your life. And you see this with Paul. You see this with other people. And he goes on, verse 14, and says, we know that God. And so we see and over and over in these chapters, he says, we know, we have confidence, we believe. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. There were these certain spiritual foundations that Paul had. They were the core of his believing. Uh, and this is what allowed him to walk through tragedy. See, Paul believed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Paul believed that Jesus Christ died on a cross, was risen on the third day. Fact is, Paul was one of the ones that witnessed on the Damascus Road the resurrected form of Jesus Christ. Paul also believed that the same power that raised, raised Jesus from the dead one day would resurrect him with all those who'd gone before him. Paul believed in... And he believed that his life had eternal purpose. He believed that this life is not all there is. Verse 15, he goes on and says, And all this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be a great thanksgiving. And God will receive more and more glory. In other, this, in other words, this, what kept Paul going is I have an eternal purpose. I have an eternal goal. And this is so more and more people will come to know Christ. Listen, let me tell you something. Our goal is not to just grow and to build a very large church. Our goal is not really even to give you only for an hour a weekend experience. Our goal is this. The Bible tells us. Is to bring you in to a relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a spiritual journey where you come to the place that you get it and you understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ and what it means to be a follower of Christ. That it's more than just an hour. But it impacts your entire life. Your marriage and your dating life and financial life and your career and everything. That you get it and you understand that Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to come to the place in your life to where you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and you have to follow me. In other words, it means to serve him and to be involved in ministries and to be involved with other believers, whether it's through life groups and other things, so that we grow and we develop. Because I'm telling you this, the reason it's so critical, the reason it's so important. If you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, you will give up every time. I'm telling you, if you don't know what you believe and why you believe it, when tragedy comes, when your world is shaken, you will give up, you will throw in the towel. See, the difference with Paul was this. Paul knew. Paul got it. Paul understood. I know what I believe. And I know that regardless of what I go through, God is with me. And God will never leave me. God will never abandon me. And I may not get it, and I may not understand it, but God is working everything in my life right now for good in my life to develop me and so that other people will reach, meet him and follow him. See, Paul, even in tragedy, said, I still believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. I still believe that God is good and God is just and he is working all things for my good. I still believe that one day he is going to make everything right 
And everything on this world and everything on this earth is temporary. The last principle is this, when we go through difficulty, when we go through tragedy, when our world is shaken is this, Christians keep going with our eyes on the goal. Paul says, verse 16, and this is why, listen, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs weighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fixed our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. In other words, our troubles are temporary. But the things we cannot see, they will last forever. It is far more important to pray with a sense of the greatness of God than with a sense of the greatness of our problem. And that's what allowed Paul to keep going. He didn't get distracted. I mean, I mean, if you watch football, you know this, that whenever a football team is trying to kick that, that game-winning field goal, the other team will, will oftentimes call a timeout to, to, to ice the kicker, to distract the kicker, right? But guess what? In our world, in our times, there's distractions, right? And what Paul says, we're not distracted by them because we know they're temporary. Whether it's distractions of marriage, or there's distractions of parenting, or whether it's distractions of an economy, or it's the distractions of your world being shaken, that we get that and we understand that's not the goal. This is temporary. One day this goes away. And Paul is saying that we keep our eye on the goal. In other words, we divert our attention. Listen, I have learned it. You have to divert your attention from the distractions to him. And Paul would say these may be hard times. But these hard times are small compared to what God has for me. I'm telling you, regardless of what you're walking through this morning, by the authority of his word, God is with you. God will never leave you. God will never abandon you. And if you will allow him to, he will turn your obstacles into his greatest opportunity to step into your life so that you learn that he is faithful, that he is true, and he is good.